0: welcome to another episode of digging in with JP Aaron CB I'm your host as always Nick Ashbourne, and today our guest is Danny Jansen blue Jay's catcher we had him on the show before just when he came up into the, from the minor leagues and now we're checking back in seeing what the life of a rookie catcher is like you know jp's being there but it's it's a little bit more complicated you might say than you know being a first baseman or being a reliever or whatever it is there's a lot that goes into it and you know, for Danny Jensen, he's had a lot of different pitchers to learn this year. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, every time you know you get to the big leagues, there's a huge learning curve. But as a catcher, I think it's even even more uh, than any other position. You can't just grab a card and tell you to position. You know, at shortstop or at second base. You know, ten steps to your left or wherever it may be. Um, you have to you have to really know the hitters that you're about to face, and you need to know how to match them up with your pitcher. So there's a lot of homework that goes into calling a game in the major leagues. It makes it much tougher to to adjust, especially on the offensive side, because. Again, you're so concentrated on on making sure your defensive uh, priorities are are always number one. And so it kind of lags on the offensive side. But, you know, this is a guy who is one of the the nucleuses for this team. He's a a big part of this, uh, you know, the growth. And now, you know, you're seeing all these young guys come up. He's he's part of that that group that's gonna be, you know, young that young core
0: moving forward. So GP, I don't know what it is with the baseball news cycle, but I feel like we're always we're recording on a Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is, and it seems like the day afterwards something comes up that I wanna talk about. So by the time the next episode comes around, it could be considered old news. But this is the biggest story of the day. And for me, the biggest story in baseball right now, or maybe I phrase it differently. The most interesting story in baseball right now for me heading into the draft is the Carter Stewart saga. So for you guys at home, if you don't know, Carter Stewart was a guy who was drafted really high by the Braves last year, eighth overall and then he didn't end up signing because he had a wrist injury and there was he kind of got lowballed on the bonus for the slot the slot Alex There you go <laughs> <Alex> Antopoulos special <laughs> Alexanthopoulos classic so he was supposed to make 4 plus million dollars they offered him about 2 million he said screw it i'm not going to do that so then he went out and pitched and this year Again, you know, it's not like I've been watching and been crunching Carter Seward tape, but what you hear is that he hadn't been as good this year and that he was looking at more being a second-round pick and he wasn't going to get the kind of money that he might have got last time. So where the story gets interesting is that instead of entering the draft process again, this guy decided to go to Japan on a six-year, seven-million-dollar deal. And in the context of baseball, six years, seven million dollars doesn't sound like anything really. I mean, we see you know no-name reliever signed for seven million on it for one year. But in terms of when you're that age and how much money you can expect to make, it's actually pretty significant because he would have a signing bonus. Call it. I don't know, a million, two million. Then he would play in the minors maybe three years. This is a guy who's 19. So he's making virtually nothing in the minors. And then when he comes up to the big leagues, for maybe he'd have three years pre-arb where he'd be making the minimum. So the way he set himself up, he'll probably make more money in Japan than he would have going through the normal process and then the thing that's really good for him is he gets to hit free agency at the age of 25 which almost never happens these days normally free agents are in their late 20s early 30s and teams don't like players that age anymore so it's a very unusual situation I think Scott Boris is considered the mastermind of this and you have to give him some credit for creativity JP what's what's your take when you hear about what Carter Stewart has going on I
1: love it. I love it. I think that this is a this is a way that you know like you said, the mastermind this is like this guy's like pinky in the brain scott boris is like it's it's unbelievable where this guy can find the loopholes to make things work it, when you sign first off, he signs a contract that two million dollars is the most that he's guaranteed for the rest of his life, right he doesn't know making it to the big leagues percentage wise is a is is a very, very poor percentage chance of making it to the major leagues even if you're a high pick whatever may be there's there's not a lot of good there's the chances aren't there so I think this is genius he gets guaranteed money and then he goes and pitches in Japan and then at 25 he has a chance to get out which I think is super smart because then if what's happened is you've watched Miles Mikolas uh, for example St. Louis Cardinals goes to Japan pitches for a couple years comes back and gets a huge deal with the Cardinals, He gets, or he gets a two-year deal with the Cardinals, and then he just signed another re-up, right? So what these guys have done is paved the way for players to go to Japan, pitch well in Japan, and then have a chance to come back and pitch in the major leagues. So I think, first off, you have to give credit to the guys that have signed in Japan and then been able to come back to the big leagues and do really, really well, because I think without those guys, the market's not there. But then kudos to scott boris on going you know what we're not going to mess around we're going to send this guy to japan he'll pitch over there he'll make a guaranteed let's say worst case scenario he makes a guaranteed six million dollars and then his career is done he's made four more million dollars than he would have ever made and then who's to say that he doesn't get continue to get more chances in japan but that's the the, the minimum that he's going to get he goes to japan he, he lights it up in japan all of a sudden, this guy is a free agent at 25, and now you're talking about one of the most sought-after free agents in baseball. So, I think this is going to be a, a thing that people look to do. The problem is, is that in in Japan, you can only have a certain amount of foreign players. You can't have you know 20 Americans on a team. You can only have three or four or whatever the number may be of Americans on a team. So. Not everybody's gonna be able to do this, but I think this opens the door for a lot more people to have the opportunity to do this.
0: So, from my perspective, I like it a lot too. When you get that the guaranteed seven million dollars again, you know, you buy a house. I don't know if you're set for life. Depends on your lifestyle. You could be. Um, Excuse me, seven seven million. I kept on saying six million. Sorry. Um, yeah, that's a good that's a good chunk of change. And there's only two scenarios I can see this going wrong. And the first scenario is if like life in Japan doesn't suit him. And I know I'm sure he's done all the research or if he feels like the development isn't as good there, if they, if his time in Japan, he's going to have to go and pitch in the Japanese minors before he makes it to the, to the main leagues too. Cause this is a 19 year old kid and Japanese leagues. I don't know. People call it something. Yeah. But is he though? But is he, is he going to have to go down to the minor leagues? I, in Japan? I believe so. He's 19 years old. The chances of him being ready for the top league seems pretty yes. slim. So was so so was Darvish though. So are
1: these these Japanese stars? They were all in the in the in the pros. So I think I don't think necessarily. I'm sure there's there's things in this contract that'll say that he can't be in the minor leagues or whatever it may be because he I, I when you have that kind of stuff, the reason why guys go to Japan is because they have uh, enough stuff to pitch in the big leagues here, and then they go over there and they're stars. So. I don't necessarily think that he's gonna be going to the minor leagues.
0: Even whether he does or doesn't, there's an argument to be made. Like they develop pitchers a lot differently, more different there. Uh, you know, whether it's in terms of longer rest and higher pitch counts. Like there could be things that happen to him as a result of being in Japan that may change the course of his career. So I think there's there's that to consider. I you know, I think it I think it's great. I if I were in his position I'd definitely be open to it. But there is that. And then the other side of it is if this kid is absolutely amazing, which again, you know, we're talking about a guy who's they're thinking drafted in the second round this year, so the chance of him just being that unbelievable game changing talent is quite low. But if it is, then he sold six years where maybe he would have gone to the major leagues and only a year and a half, two years, and then he's giving up that first big ARB payday. But even then, he's giving up maybe a couple million dollars, and then he's hitting free agency far sooner. Now, he would have to be posted. So the deal he would get, some of that money ends up going to the team to so the posting fees. He might not get exactly the same level of contract he would if he wasn't posted, but still, it still could be big, big money compared to if he were 29. I want to talk about the, the cultural aspect of it, though, because you know, you've been there, and at that age, a lot of these guys, you know, I don't know how much they've traveled. Depends on the the kid, obviously. But you know, what percentage of you know eighteen, nineteen year old American kids are going to be open to? you know, going, not only doing something different from everyone else, kind of forging their own path, but also going to live and work in a very, very different environment. Like this is different from a person who's a grown man and maybe has their own family they bring with them to Japan and has been around a little bit. Like this guy is a kid and he, suddenly he's going to live in Japan. That's that's a big, big adjustment.
1: Yeah, I, I think that obviously there's no way he would have signed this deal if that wasn't something that he was prepared to do. I mean, that's that's there's no way that if you're worried about the conditions and how living is going to be over there, that you would sign a deal to go to Japan. So I I don't think that's a worry for me. I actually look at it in the opposite of is this guy still young and he's still very moldable. I think, you know, older players have a certain, you know, let's say hard, hard headedness about what they want to do, how they want to be. They, they've already been, you know, through those years where they've matured to really know themselves and what they want. I think that he's still, you know, when you're young, when I was young and I went to Japan, like it was fun. Like I I was, I was 19 when I went to Japan and it was awesome. I was able to go out there, have fun, enjoy it. And I loved it. Right. I was young. I was still very moldable. I think that's a thing for him as well is he's still very young. He still can go out there and, and just have fun and not really worry about his his let's say growing up yet he can actually just kind of take it for almost like an extended vacation um because he again he's not he
0: 6 years is a hell of a
1: vacation it's yeah he's not going to be there all 6 years you you only go for the season so it's like anything right you're not there all 6 years he'll be there for the season and then come back to the to the states but I, i'm just not worried i'm i think that that's something there's no way you sign this contract if you're not completely you know okay with what's what's about to happen second off i understand that yeah he could get to the big leagues and yeah he could get the arbitration but as we all know the hardest thing to do percentage wise you're not making it to the big leagues on a, on a high percentage like it's a really really low percentage to so to think that anybody's going to make it to the big leagues quick and then even get to the arbitration because what happens if he gets to the big leagues quick and he sucks and then all of a sudden he's a he's a uh, you know that four a player up and down up and down up and down and and he makes two million dollars in his career maybe let's say after up and down for however many years it's up to three this guy has will have seven million dollars in his pocket you know obviously taxes and all that stuff at 25 so I, I mean i think it's a smart move i just think i think that he'll be fine in the sense of he's still young enough where he can adapt and grow and do different things and he's not set in his ways i think for older guys it's It's tougher to go over there because you're used to one way of life in pro ball in the U S you're used to, you know, the different big league luxuries and all that stuff. And when you go over there, it's maybe different. Now he's young enough that he can go over there and, and just get molded by that style of baseball. And, and for development, could it be different? Yeah. But a lot of guys are starting to prove that they go to Japan. Miles Mikolas, he, he literally played with me with the Texas Rangers. He was my teammate, Texas Rangers. Was a guy who got to the big leagues was doing all right. Cannot you know cannot kind of get over that hump in the big leagues. Gets you know been non-tender, designated, all these different things. Goes to Japan, pitches there for two years, kills it. All of a sudden, this dude is back and he's dominating in the U- in the U.S. Last year, he was one of the best pitchers in the National League. So, although that I question their the, how they develop and the time in between starts and different di- things that they have different than here in the states. There's becoming a pretty good track record of guys that come from Japan, U.S., Americans, or whatever, that go to Japan, do things right, come back, and they're good again in the major leagues and they and they're actually very, very serviceable.
0: Yeah, Tony Barnett's another example of a guy who yeah. came back from Japan and he his style, the way he pitched and when you watch him was really reminiscent of those yeah. Japanese pitchers. And it'll be interesting to see if Carter Stewart picks if we you know, we may not really see him again. There's like you said, the odds are low. But if he comes back, it'll be interesting to see if he brings that style with him. I think it's worth noting that he falls in a very interesting band of guys that's quite small where this might work. Because for a lot of guys, if their signing bonus is, is quite high, like say their signing bonus is five million, it's probably not worth it for them to do this. And then if their signing bonus is really really low, or you know if they're you know if their signing bonus is less than a million or something like that, I, it's hard for me to think a Japanese team sees a player getting in that area and thinks, oh, that's someone who can really help me on a deal worth over a million a year, which in Japan is a pretty decent deal. So you're talking about guys who are are not at the very top of the draft, but are also, you know, not lesser known guys either. So when people see this and like, oh, well, this is the way forward, like me and you, I think, you know, we both established, we like this move a lot. And I think this is the way forward for certain guys, but it's also worth acknowledging that the percentage of guys that fall into that bucket is actually going to be quite small.
1: Well, and I think here's, here's the other thing. I think guys are starting to become scared of, of what's going on in baseball. I I think there's a little bit of a, of a worry about uh, what's going to happen in the near future. I think that there's obviously going to be some kind of discussions at the table because there's a lot of stuff going on weird with free agency there's a lot. I think that also contributes to to Scott Boris testing these waters and being able to do this in Japan because we don't know what happens if there's a strike a couple years from now and this all of a sudden this guy's out there still making money. What happens if you know the the whole thing with with now free agency and and guys being held back and and just you know teams really really trying to make sure we have young guys that are making minimum and all and and if not they're kind of unless you're on the top of the game you're kind of just designated and and some other team can pick you up and take the chance but it just it's just a weird weird time right now in major league baseball which i think at the next collective you know agreement bargain or or bargain agreement they're gonna have to be able to sit down and go away what are what are things that we can do to make sure that you know both sides are, are making strides because again i think I think something weird is about to happen in baseball here in the next few years. About when when the owners and the players sit down.
0: Well, it it just doesn't reflect well on the draft process. The fact that guys are willing to forego it and go all the way to Japan says the process isn't working well for guys. Like that's something that you know, if baseball MLB is clicking, you know, and everyone's getting what they want, no one is even considering solutions like this. And. Another thing that's going to be interesting is the agreements they have with the Japanese and Korean leagues. Those are the two like, leagues that could maybe give them money that make this worthwhile because guys have to play six years to get that free agency in those leagues right now. So you're not going to see a college junior go and give up six years because you know their road to the show is a little bit shorter. They have a chance to be there earlier. So right now this really kind of only applies to high school players. But if that ever changes where – uh you know say you only have to play 4 years in Japan or or Korea then that again opens up the pool even bigger because a guy who's 20 21 could go and pitch 4 years in Japan and kind of skip the minors and maybe skip sort of his first MLB season but realistically get back quite quickly but as it stands you know it's just going to be high school players it's not going to be the best high school players but it there is a little band here, you know. We saw it in hockey with Austin Matthews that, and basketball guys do it a fair amount of the time. They go to European leagues. I, I'm down to see anything that is helping young players get money in this game because that is one of the biggest problems in baseball right now. Not enough money is going to the young players in this game.
1: Well, and and again, it's tough to say. All right, we'll give you. Let's say we'll give you two million dollars, and then now you're going to be in the minor leagues making. 1500 a month or we can send you to Japan and you can develop in Japan and you'll be making a million dollars a season. I mean that's a big 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 difference. So I think it's it's crazy it's crazy to see it. I think it's it was pretty cool to read about it though because and I I was I was like, man, this guy this guy is this is genius for this kid. If it if it pans out the way that it could pan out, right? That could be uh, you know, Scott Boris is crazy and does a lot of different things, but I've seen him send guys to independent ball, which have then become the first pick overall of the draft, a la Lou Kochaver. Um, he does a lot of crazy things, but guys end up getting paid. It would be crazy to think about it if this guy signs, or well, now he's already signed, him go to Japan, have a good career, make $7 million, and then as a 25 year old, get a chance to post. And all of a sudden he signs a hundred and let's say fifty million dollar deal, it's genius. I mean, how then it's like, wow, this was a deal that was done before its time, right? Like this is a this is a paving deal. So I think for him, for Carter, it could be cool to be like, at the end of the day, I I paved the way for other people to make a a jump like this.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt he could be a part of history. And I know that Scott Boris is a little bit of a cartoon villain sometimes in the eyes of certain fans. But, you know, no one is better at getting their guys money and no one is more creative in terms of finding routes to get that money in the hands of the players. This is a very clear example of that and you got to tip your hat to him. So now we're going to be joined by Danny Jansen, a man who made it to the the big leagues, the old fashioned way.
1: Yeah, the old <laughs> draft and work through the minor leagues. Yeah, you know,
0: someday, you know, someday maybe Jansen's road will be considered an antique. But for now, he's, uh, you know, he's doing it the standard way, the the right way, you know, as teams might think. But uh, we're going to be joined by Blue Jays rookie catcher Danny Jansen.
1: As we said, our guest for today is Danny Jansen, Niner, as as me and him like to say back and forth. Jano, uh, talk to me. The, one of the toughest things, and I, and I say this for a catcher, is when you're first getting to the field, your first job is to worry about calling a game, worried about the hitters that you're about to face. How have you been able to get to the field? Like, what's your routine? Because I don't think people understand how intense it is for a catcher, uh, worried about nothing offensively, just the defensive side of the game.
2: Yeah, man. It's, uh, I mean, that comes first, as you know. So you get to the field, uh, usually you're one of the first guys there, and, and you're just kind of hanging out, um, watching video, on the opposing team, you get a lineup card you get an idea and you, and you do some things just to just to kind of prep yourself and then you'll meet with the pitching coach you'll meet with the starter you'll have an advanced meeting perhaps too and and you'll talk just about all the guys and, and you'll get a game plan for everybody and then um, you know you kind of get a scouting report and then and then you gotta you gotta talk with your pitchers and you gotta talk with your starters and and uh, just kind of develop a game plan so there's a lot that goes into it well
1: oh, and, and you make it sound like it's pretty quick, but you know, you get there, like you said, you get there super early, which people don't realize. You probably get there, I would say, maybe one, even a little bit after that. And then, you know, you have all this. This takes all day, plus you still have to get ready, and then you have to go get your swings and then worry about the, the pitcher. So, you know, that's, for, for you, that adjustment. And I, I'm just trying to let people understand. The first year, I think, for a catcher is the toughest year because of you're trying to get to know everybody in the league.
2: Yeah, definitely, man. It's like every every day being up here. I just kind of you learn something new, and you learn something to better yourself and to better your routine. So, you know, we're, how we're so routine oriented, we gotta have a good one. And and uh, you know, mine is developing. I, I started like like you say. Like it, it defensively takes a long time during the day, and then you gotta find ways just to get. Maybe if I need VLO machines to kind of get me going, and and uh, find a way to get my swings in. So. You know what, there is a lot of information, a lot of scouting reports, a lot of a lot of things that we do for defense, but uh, it's not really, like, for me personally, I don't feel like it's, like, an overload on me. I don't think it's taking um, impacts, like, on my at-bats, but um, I definitely have to find, like, some, some ways to fine-tune my offensive routine to kind of get some more swings in there or, or just at a better time, perhaps. That's what I'm learning about.
0: So Danny, JP sometimes gives me a little bit of shit when I quote uh, StatCast stuff, but I'm going to do it anyway in this case. One thing that uh, a lot of guys don't real about, realize about you is that you are one of the fastest catchers in the major leagues. With uh, <laughs> They got you at fourth fastest last year, fifth fastest this year, and like 67th percentile overall. That's all players. You're well above average speed. When are we going to see the first Danny Jansen stolen base? Because I've been, I've been waiting for it all season.
2: Yeah, you, first of all, I can't feel first base, so I gotta get on first. And then <laughs> once I'm there, I don't know. I, just, I I'm I feel like I'm I'd be so nervous. I I, I got to get it from Louie. I can't I buy it, even though I I may be like the fourth best sketcher, By all means, I don't have the green light for some reason. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So so uh, I think you might see it on a delayed steal. like I guess telling me that coming up soon?
0: Well, now you're armed with that information. You can go to Louie and say, listen, uh, I've heard that I'm one of the fastest catchers out there. Give me a chance. And hopefully that's what we can give you at this podcast.
2: Yeah, that would be hilarious. And I do give a lot of people shit about that too. I remember like I was on the board in Toronto and I was like, I was like, faster foot speed than like some of our outfielders or something like that. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know how that is.
0: And another, another stack ass one, I guess a little bit more serious, you know, than the, uh, than catcher stealing uh, that a lot of people talked about this year is framing. And I know that your frame number has been really good. And in particular, uh, the, the lower part of the zone has been really good to you this year. So I wanted to know if there's anything that you've done to work on that area of the game, because it used to be framers kind of this mysterious thing, and now it's getting so micro that we can look at, like, what catchers are good at each tiny area of the zone, and it seems like you're really excelling across the
2: bottom. Yeah, that, that's that's changed so much about baseball, I think. Like, I never heard of, like, the stats that they're throwing at us about the catch and receiving before this year. And and um, you know what? Like, it is, it is a big thing. I feel like a lot of teams are, are taking initiative. Like, see some of the guys, they just go on a knee behind the plate just to try to get that low pitch. So... I mean, you know, uh, for me personally, I came in and last year when I was up here, I was like real like stiff-armed and like inverted with my glove, and uh, it didn't really allow me to, to have freedom. So I came in in uh, you know in spring and in the offseason, I was like, I'm gonna try to keep my glove like the athletic, keep a little bend in it, and I want to be one of the best receivers in the game. I want to be one of the best catchers in the game. So I, I I'm very like much willing to experiment with things and and, you know, try different things out. So I, I tried that out, and um, it's kind of just like a, you know, just try to beat the ball and kind of like give me like a little glove flip, kind of like show the back of the glove. Um, I remember watching like Sandy Leone and, and, and Vasquez, like Red Sox Catchers, they, they kind of do it. And uh, I was like, that looks real nice and looks really easy. So I tried that, and, you know, it's just – it takes a lot of maintenance during the season to keep, keep it going, and, and I feel really good where I'm at.
1: When you talk about maintenance – you know, one of the things for me when I got to the big leagues, there was some catching coaches. I, then I, then I had a catching coach one of the years. And then when Gibby was there, really, I didn't have much of a catching coach. You have John Schneider, who you obviously have a good relationship and then he's there and I've, and you guys are working every single day. You guys, you guys have your routines before the games. How is, imp- how important has it been to have a guy like that who you can lean on every single day?
2: It is so important, man. And, uh, you know, I I love Schneider. I, I got a great relationship with him, um, and uh, you know he knows me very very well. He knows um, what I like to do. He knows like if I want to do early work or not or if he's gonna ask me if I you know if, you know if I'm. I can be completely honest with him and say like I'm feeling great with this, or my body feels like this, and I'd be like yeah no problem. He knows when to get on me. He knows, you know what uh, when not to. You know he you know he's he just. Uh, very very helpful, and you know, in the dugout and stuff, like in between the innings, he got um, he's always there to kind of give you some him and Pete kind of just like you know, coming with the next guys coming up, and uh, you know, he'll throw, he throws information, he throws ideas, bounces off me, and and I bounce it back off him. So, um, you know, I I think it's very important, and I'm very uh very happy that I have. Him.
0: So speaking about Schneider and you working on that catch in the defense with him, another area that seems to have improved for you this year is is throwing guys out and it started early in the year and i know more recently you've been on a little bit more of a role with it as well what work have you done on that to take that to another level where you know when you first came up it was a bit of a struggle
2: yeah yeah you know what i think I uh completely, completely honestly what i said about my glove like when i was so like arm barred you know uh, when i was like so out there with my glove and and uh inverting and stuff that i think that trans had that transition to throwing for sure because when my gloves close to my body, you can't beat the ball. You gotta let the ball come to you. So I think that that kind of goes hand in hand with my throwing and, um, you know, I just more confidence, more confidence this year coming in. And, uh, I, I, what I really think helps is that, you know, in spring we we're, were back kicking, like we're back kicking here. We're kind of, um, you know, haven't having, probably haven't, you know, you haven't seen a lot, uh, out of me, but there's times where I've been back kicking. And I think that keeps me just in the throwing mentality. So, um, you know, what I've been doing, you know, you got to always do the maintenance on the throwing and, and you know I'm happy where I'm at, but I'm always going to try to improve. How fun is it for for
1: you? And I know it's it's actually probably tough, too. You got guys come in, you know, Edward Jackson come in, you know, later in the season. You haven't, you know, Clayton Richard, he was kind of banged up from the beginnings and then, then you get to catch him. How tough is that? Because I don't think people, too, I mean, it is fun because you get to catch new guys, but... It's really tough. Even like a Clayton Richards, he's got herky jerky delivery. Then you have to figure out what these guys like. Like, how tough is that behind the dish with guys that you're just starting to learn?
2: It is tough, man. You're playing at the highest level, and um, you know you're playing in front of everybody on TV. And I mean, it's not like that matters, but I mean, you you got a guy. I haven't I haven't caught I caught three like bullpens in the spring, Clayton, and I wasn't in a game with them, wasn't in anything. So um, his first start in Toronto, yeah, like I was. I remember in warm-up, in the warm-up pitches, I dropped like five balls. Like, is, it is turkey turkey, and it's like, you know, uh, it is kind of tough. you gotta, you got to do stuff on the fly for sure, and especially when um, you got some guys that are banged up and, and a lot of new faces come in, and um, you kinda, you kind of got to learn as you go. You know, I think that game in Toronto when Clayton started, I caught like two, two other guys that I haven't caught either, so um, you just got to learn on the fly. Got to, got to adjust, got to adapt.
1: Well, that's the, that's the thing people don't realize too. That this is as a catcher, and it seems like a lot of times, and and as a starter, it's different. But the bullpen guy that you've never seen comes in with bases loaded and nobody out, and you're like, all right, this is, uh, this is going to be crazy. But to, to switch, to switch to to some fun stuff too. You know, obviously the young guys coming up, a little extra energy into the clubhouse, I think. And then you, uh, the clubhouse parties. I, I want to know because this is your, this is your, your partner here. Barrels is he is he controlling it the way he needs to control it? He always we've had him on and he says that he does he always does a good job. I just wanna I want to make sure that you're keeping him in check. What are, what are your thoughts on Barrels and, and the post and the music and the, the post game
2: parties? Barrels Barrels does a fantastic job. I'll back him on that, man. I mean he he uh, after the games, you know whatever we're doing, you know we are celebrating and then we got the post game. I guess, like the post game uh, MVP. Uh, he makes sure he, he screams that he, he's uh, he's very enthusiastic about. it. I remember we we're in Oakland. Um I uh went strumming through like 8 innings and I was I was staying outside talking with like family and friends and stuff and everybody was waiting inside for that post game like MVP thing and and uh I got chewed out by barrels and I got a lot of respect for that. <laughs> So, you know what? I think he's doing a great job.
0: You mentioned your family there. It's become a pretty open secret that whenever your family seems to be around, it's going to be a home run, possible multiple multiple home runs in a series. At what point do you have to just make sure that they're there, like literally every game, batting practice, before the game, after, as a good luck charm?
2: It's my Uncle Jeff, man. It's my crazy Uncle Jeff. He's like 6'6" he's uh he's got this crazy mustache and he and he's just every time he's there, I hit a Homer, so I'm gonna have him start just bringing him around everywhere everywhere we go um other family can come to you, but Uncle Jeff's got to be there.
1: Have you found a new pizza place to go to? or Are you still going old school like uh you you said the first time you had us on the show I think you are you were you a Domino's guy?
2: Yeah, diner. Big Dominoes,
1: yeah. Yeah, is that is that still the go-to? Is or are you you know checking other waters? No, I'm. So sab- what?
0: I was gonna say you can get sick I, uh, of Dominoes. It's it's awfully salty like that. That'll get you after if you have that for like a year plus.
2: Well, I don't remember if I told you guys that, like the first time I was on your podcast that it's different. Canada Domino's is different than American Dominoes. Did I tell you, that? remember me saying that? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what? I I, I do enjoy Dominoes. Whenever the time presents itself. But I do want to uh, explore other waters. Do you guys have any suggestions for me?
0: Uh, in this city, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we got, we have all, like Pizza Pizza is the Canadian one, no, but that's no. very. No, no, Pizza
1: Pizza is like Little Caesars. But yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, I
0: mean, if you want to go a little more upscale, like you go like Pizza Libretto or something like that, The kind of like uh, the stuff from Naples that is done incredibly quickly in the oven and with kind of the Pizza, black spots, the it- bubbly uh, crust. Ola or pizza, pizza whatola it? is it pizza? okay that's kind of like a step above your standard fast food and if you're willing to spring a couple more dollars, but in between that and like a nice sit down pizza place that's that's a good middle ground to explore uh before we let you go you know we you referenced me on the show before I think you've officially gained you know friend of the show status along with legends like uh-huh. uh Lukey barrels and then of course uh John Gibbons, I think those are the only three right now to have a couple of uh, appearances on the show but I wanted to circle back cuz when you first came up a lot of talk and it wasn't just us it was we there was like a sports net feature on and all that jazz about you and Ryan Barry and how you guys are best friends so I wanted to get the update on what life is like you know in the big leagues when your best friend is away rehabbing an injury
2: you know what it's it's lonely it really is <laughs> i mean Barry Barry is my my best home man he, he's my battery mate too um, but you know he's, he's doing a lot better. He's hopefully shooting, uh, coming back soon, and uh, he's also my roommate. He's I mean, props to him, man. He bought our apartment for the whole year, and he hasn't even been there. We're just I just like we just been paying we just been paying him through like Venmo and stuff like that. But um, uh yeah. So you know what, it's tough. That's my homie. But uh, you know what, he's he's uh got a beautiful tan going on. I'll tell you that much. He's really been soaking up this Florida Florida weather. Uh. But uh, you know what? It's good. I tell you what. Last night he was in the dugout, and I had about I had three barrels right through people, um, to people. Felt great, so I need him around more. Gonna have to get yeah. back to
1: Well, and what you're gonna need to do is you're gonna need to hang up here, and you're gonna have to go and and take off that shirt and head on to the pool at the at the at the Vinoy because I I know that I did a very good job of trying to get as much sun time as I can because. We all know this uh, this farmer's tan that we have to live with all summer isn't that cool. So go and go and get that done. And thanks for uh, coming on with us.
2: Yeah, you got a niner. Thanks for having me, bro.
0: All right, see ya. Thank you. Yeah, guys. Yeah, and Danny's always a good good one, friend of the yeah. show.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's a stud, man. He's a, he's a baseball dude. He's a good dude, and and that's why you know you pull for him too. Listen, I wanted him, and he didn't even. It's tough, right? Because I, I, he's he's not going to give an excuse. He's not going to say. But as a dude, as a rookie catcher, it's tough, man. You literally are there, one o'clock. You're meeting with everybody about what the game, the game that you're about to call, and then it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go and try to get a few flips before the game to work on some stuff in the cage and then I have batting practice and then I go like it's, there is not much time to prepare on the offensive side where all the other positions really have that time to prepare.
0: Yeah. And he's not hitting as well right now as he'd like, and probably as well as he will. I think we we can both agree on that, that he's going to do a lot better. But when you think about those huge rookie season breakouts that guys have, you know, recently, you know, Ron Lacuna and Juan Soto and even, Mike Trout, Smokey, like those guys are never catchers. It's never the catcher who has like the crazy year at the age of 20 and just takes the league by storm. It takes those guys a while, and uh, uh, it, it seems like the Blue Jays have a good one. And Danny Jansen, even if he's scuffling a bit at the plate right now,
1: yeah. And listen, you know, like yesterday, he hit the ball hard three times, and you get that's a crappy part of this game. Like, you can literally go out there smash a ball every time you're up and you're over four it sucks and then that's why it's such a mental game as far as you have to accept that you have to accept that it's not like in basketball if you just if you drill five shots and I mean there's you you swish them and they're like hey sorry the three out of the five didn't count just sorry yeah you, you didn't that's how that's it's just not fair and that's the way this game is and that's why it's just a test of the mental side of the game but He's I think he's doing obviously said numbers are up in receiving, which I talked to John Snyder about. He's throwing well. He's throwing guys out. Now he's he's getting that defensive side. He's improving. I think little by little he'll he'll get the offensive side going. And again, this guy has hit everywhere he goes. He still walks. He still gets on base. So this is a guy that you guys can look forward to, you know, being around for quite some time.
0: Before we finish on Blue Jays, you know we've we talked jokingly about whole, the whole Vlad watch component of this podcast and all Blue Jays coverage, but we should th- throw a little bit of shine on Craig Bigio not Craig Bigio Cavan Bigio Craig, Biggio, well, Craig I mean, Biggio Craig deserves Craig, some Craig shine Biggio too. Gets shine too. He's yeah. been pr- his, he's, he's a Hall of Famer. His reaction has has been hilarious. He's been so stone faced through the whole like Bigio's first couple of games, it's, and then the
1: it, how. How weird has it been, by the way? In the sense of, I mean, listen, he's got to be excited, but dude, it's—I've never seen anybody just so, like, just like monotone face, like, just like he's tense, he's
0: tense. I think he's like he's worried. He's he's worried about his. He wants to see his son get hits, but when he got that first hit, I expected then the dam would break and we'd see that big celebration. But still, it was just a light clap, like it was nothing serious. It took it took the home run. To get Craig Biggio really into uh, Cavez Day. Well, that was a, an absolute
1: tank, too. That ball was crushed, dude. So, I mean, at least if you're going to leave the yard for your first one. I was a fence scraper for my first one. This dude went way, way back, which I thought was cool. Uh, and, again, honestly, I'm super excited. Like, for me, and, and you could tell me uh, how you feel about it, but I, I find myself wanting to tune in, and I love – Everybody on the team, you know, I'm actually, you know, friends with many of these guys. I, I pull for a lot of them, but I am super excited to watch the at bats of Vladdy, of now Kevin. You know, Jonathan Davis just hit his first home run. Like, I am super excited to be able to you know, when Bo comes up, I want to watch these guys at bats. I think that that's a super fun part of of you know this day and age, and for the for the Blue Jays is watching these young guys. I I'm excited to watch all these
0: these young guys at bats on a daily basis. Biggio is a really interesting one for me, too, because Vlad, you feel very confident that Vlad's going to be a star. And Bo, you know, is is close to that. You know, you could make your argument either way of where you think he's going to land, but you can be quite confident that this guy's going to be, uh, you know, a big player at the major league level. Biggio is a guy for me that could go either way. Like he could really take off, and he's done amazingly in the upper minors the last couple of years, or he could be more of a utility fringe type of guy, and that, that story isn't written yet. And I'm very interested to watch him on an at-bat, by-at-bat basis and start to get a sense of what you think is going to happen with him at the major league level. And so far... Uh, I think he's, he's shown what he's shown to the minors. He's shown an advanced approach of the plate. I know he struck out a couple times, but he's generally taking those good at bats. I mean, he showed power with that home run, no doubt. And, uh, you know, he's shown decent bat to ball as well. I think in the first little bit, it's hard to complain about, Bijou, know, even though all the big stuff kind of came in one game, uh, yeah you definitely have to be happy if, with your if you're the Blue Jays with what uh, he's put out there.
1: Well you know what I like too and this is something that I think is under the radar is these guys grew up with Guillermo Martinez as their hitting coordinator you know here towards the end. Um, you had John Schneider as a manager for these guys. both of these guys are on this major league staff and don't think for a second that that's not a reason for these guys to be there is to make sure these guys the you know the players transition to the major leagues, is something that is easier for them as far as comfort-wise. You know, you have that guy that you, you know, hitting coordinator comes in and he works with everybody, right? So he already is familiar with you. So you're already being able to lean back on a major league hitting coach that you feel comfortable with. You have John Schneider there who's been able to see these guys, you know, play on a daily basis, who's managed them, knows their personalities. So I think this is something that's really cool. If You, if, you know, in the games you watch, you know, Vladdy's talking to John a ton. Right, and I think that's a connection there that's huge. I, I also, you know, Cavan will have that connection as well. I think that's going to help these guys transition into the big leagues uh, better. I, I do believe Kevin is a guy that has been able to figure it out later in his career. Uh, he wasn't, he, you know, he he wasn't this like crazy player um, forever, and then but he's put up some big home run numbers as of late. He had a huge spring training, so I think this is a guy who has continued to get better as he goes and I, and I mean I don't I don't discredit at all genetics and the and and where these guys came from they understand what it's like to be major leaguers and not only do they understand what it's like to be major leaguers they both got to watch as an example hall of fame fathers which I do think talent is very important obviously these guys got the talent but I think the mental side of the game and the aspect of it when you have those two to kind of gauge off of
0: your whole childhood, I think that makes a huge difference. Even Biggio's, the way he carries himself, it's very clear that he's comfortable already. And some of that comes from the fact that, you know, he's a 24-year-old guy. He's a little bit more mature than some of the guys who come up. You know, Vladdy's only 20. Uh, You know, Vladdy, kind of a bad example because of how at ease he is. But just, you know, the way he talks, you know, into the media, to the cameras, he's just, he's very composed He's very at ease, and he'll, he talks about, you know, I've been around this game a long time, which is a weird thing for a guy to say after his third major league game, but it's true. In his case, it's true. He has been around the game a long time, and it does show. Whether that's going to come through in the results, it's hard to say yet, but there's no doubt that he has that advantage of baseball has been my life since I was a kid. And, you know, it's hard for other guys to catch up to that in a sense. Like, that's an advantage that he'll always have had is that, he, in a sense, he got started earlier than anyone. Yeah, you know what, too? I, I don't want to
1: just uh, kind of leave out because this is something that I think has been super fun to watch is is Lourdes Guriel Jr. I think watching him...
0: He has smashed the ball since he came back. Watching
1: him come back, man, and it has been... Unbelievable. Even though listen, there was a crazy play where he threw it to the plate on a ball that he shouldn't throw into the plate. He should have just thrown it to second base and it ended up being kind of a crazy whole ordeal. I don't care about what happened on that play. But the throw to the plate, I don't know if you realized or anybody realized. It was a rocket one hop bounce on the money to the plate. Now the guy was safe by a mile, but he shouldn't have thrown there. But that was something that I was like, dang, that was pretty that's pretty big time right there because now he proved that he can throw and he can be an above average thrower again
0: he had that assist on Sunday he got addicted to the feeling of gunning people out and he just got too enthusiastic well that's but that's that's something for me that that excites me because you know maybe
1: since he's been in left field in the big leagues and I know that this is obviously early he has just absolutely mashed and I'll tell you one thing when you play stress-free, because obviously at second base, he was worried about some things. He had some some kind of gremlins in his head. He goes out to the outfield much more relaxed. Now he can chill out a little bit more. All of a sudden, his uh, his offense starts going nuts. Do I think that's a coincidence? I don't. And I think that this all of a sudden could be a huge you know, opportunity for him uh, with Teoscar not being there and all this stuff. He goes out there, man, maybe he becomes a guy who's – who's the left fielder of the future in in essence, and it just happened kind of by mistake because of something that that he went through uh, in the infield.
0: I've long been a Lourdes Guriel offensive skeptic, so I can't rescind my official position, but I do have to say that recently he's looked very, very, very good at the plate. So... He's getting there in terms of convincing me, but I, I'm not ready to step away from my position that I remain skeptical of his bat. You always you always you you have always been
1: skeptical on him, and I mean, you know how I've always been. I've always believed that he's going to hit better than than what anybody would think because it just for whatever reason, Cuban hitters as well always continue to improve. These guys as they get around uh, better competition, more consistently, these guys get more comfortable, they get better, uh, but Man, he's looked good. I don't, I, there's nothing other than, you know, defensively he's going to have some miscues and, and mental pi- a part of playing defense in the major leagues as far as throwing the ball to second, keeping the double play in order and not trying to throw that guy out at home when you have no chance. That's going to happen. But if you get that offensive upside with that left fielder and Gritchuk out there and Rowdy swinging the bat and Cavan swinging the bat and, and, you know, Vladdy and then all of a sudden Bo comes up like, this could be a pretty fun offensive team to watch here in the near future. No
0: doubt, as Gibby would say to virtually any question you ask him. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's finish this off with a would-you-rather, as always. This one I, I found online. I want to make sure it's clear that I didn't write it because I'm not sure I could have come up with something this bizarre. So would you rather have a $10 bill right now or get $10 million? Again, it's right now, but there's a catch. A snail will chase you for the rest of your life. It's an immortal snail. It cannot be killed. But if it touches you, you will die an incredibly painful death. You can't, obviously you can't kill it. It will always know your location no matter what. And its only purpose in life is to touch you. So all it's ever going to, you've got this angry immortal snail that's chasing you and uh, all it's going to do with its entire life is trying to kill you. All it has to do is touch you. So you can have $10 million, but you're going to always have the snail to worry about for the rest of your days. I don't want it. I don't want the money. As a person who, de- who dealt with mental
1: uh, and who, you know, I never say that I'm done with it. Everybody, you know, we have our, our things, but there's no price to put for mental health. And if that's the case, that would mentally drive me insane to be able to know that, this snail knows where i'm at and if it touches me i'm finito so at the end of the day i would much rather have be where i'm at or work or do whatever i need to do to just to to make ends meet and live a stress-free life as opposed to have a snail constantly coming after me because at the end of the day like i said and for anybody out there who deals with it and stuff like that man there's there's no uh, money that can, they can buy the the mental saneness. So I would much rather have the sanity of not worrying about this, uh, this, this thing terrorizing me.
0: Yeah. I think, I think I'm with you. Normally I disagree with you, I think on these, but this time, you know, you can get away from the snail. You can go like, I talked to some people in the office about this. You know, you can go travel somewhere and the snail will follow you and then it'll come back. And maybe you'll think that you've kind of shook it forever but it's always going to back your head and then you're going to see another snail on a rainy day out in the street and every time you see a snail, you're going to be traumatized and you know, or it's one of those things where either you're going to be worried about it all the time and it's going to, like you say, it's just going to rattle your brain. It's going to ruin your life with anxiety or you're going to think that you've gotten rid of it and you're going to get complacent and then it's going to kill you in your sleep one day and you'll die well before your time. So I, ju- I just think there's no winning in that scenario because it's hard to be vigilant without getting destroyed by anxiety. And if you aren't vigilant, you're going to end up dead far sooner than you want it to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So listen, man, the old, the old death stricken snail can go fly a kite, man. I don't, I want no part of that, that snail. I'd also, I also don't think the $10 million is worth it. So I would make sure that I would have no part of it. The only thing that I could see where it would be even okay to kind of deal with is if I was able to, with the $10 million, buy a, a snail security and he would just literally, this person would stay around me 24-7 and just defend the snail, uh, defend me from the snail. Other than that, there's, there's no reason why I'd ever want to have a, a snail chasing me and knowing where I'm at at all times that could kill me if he touches me.
0: Yeah. And and that person's going to cost a lot of money at the end of the day. I mean, I don't know what a good bodyguard goes for these days, but if you're paying that person for their entire career, that's really going to eat into the $10 million prize to begin with. So yeah, I I wouldn't call it a no brainer because there's a lot of things you can do with $10 million, but give me that 10 sheet and I'll just buy myself a nice cheap lunch somewhere and uh, be happy about that and, you know, live that that life free of worry i i agree with you for the first time on this uh would you rather all right thanks everyone for listening we appreciate you continuing to subscribe rate leave reviews spotify itunes wherever it is that you're getting us uh you know we're doing this for you and we appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you next week